Welcome to Pastors with Pourovers, conversations about coffee and the Christian faith. My name is Cody. And my name is Kyle. I saw you smirking, but you didn't laugh this time. That's good. I was uh, trying to hold back <laughs> this time because I know that it, it bugs you a lot. <laughs> it just it's it's funny because we went from the pre-recorded intro to doing it live and I felt like I was pretty on point with like doing it exactly the same. But in the later ones, you can hear, I'm like, welcome to Pastors of Party. You're snicker, snicker, snicker in the background. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, if this is your first time watching or listening t- to us, uh, we've been thinking a lot about who we are and what we do and why. And really, we're just two guys who love coffee and we love Jesus. And we, we want to help people know him better and walk with him more closely. We've been thinking about the existential questions in life at our old age. Yes. As we, as we get older and wiser, and this is what we've come up with. You so. know, it's funny. Uh, I was thinking the other day about when people like find a gray hair and they get really stressed. I don't know. Have you ever, have you found a gray hair? I haven't yet. Okay. I, I think I might have once in a while, but I pulled a hair out of my beard the other day and I looked at it and it was so red like the reddest hair. I was like, man, I'm so stressed. I'm becoming a ginger. (laughs) Some some people get gray hair. You get redder. I just get redder. The Scottish comes out. That's funny. Um, Surprisingly, a lot of guys have red in their beards. I'd have a little bit too, actually. Yeah, I guess it's a common thing. I read a part of an article about it and I realized I wasn't that interested, so I didn't read much, but... I don't don't care enough about that. That's just something I've heard over the years. So, What we do care about, though, is coffee. Yes. Yeah, that that was a good transition. I'm I'm drinking some of that that Eco Cafe you left me. So Mm -hmm. it it says Cody Cody Eco Cafe. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know much about it. Brazil Pea Berry, I think it's called. It's pretty good. Like, I like it. I think you said before it's a medium roast, yeah? It's a medium. Um, yeah, I really like it. Uh, they, actually, I don't think they're a micro roaster. Like, Hearth and Hinterland, it, they mm-hmm. call themselves micro roaster, right? Um, and that's especially because you can pick the roast from them, which is really cool. Yeah. Eco Cafe is just like a small roastery in a small town. In Ontario as well. Really cool place though. I like it. Yeah, they do more um medium and dark roasts there. Mm. And they're good at it. So Yeah, this is probably one of the better mediums I've had in like recent years since we've started getting into coffee. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that one. I use it I, I've started actually doing like a kind of a more uh light and fruity coffee in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then I use, I've been doing the Eco Cafe one in the afternoon. It would be a really good guest's coffee because I find like most people who just drink coffee and aren't super into it, they don't love light roasts. So, yeah. and I don't care for dark roasts much anymore, but I feel like this is a good, like, I really like it. There's some interesting flavor notes, but it also just tastes kind of g- generic coffee enough that I think most people would enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. I th- yeah, I think it's a perfect way to be like, it's like special, more specialty, but mm-hmm. it's still like you can, it's kind of a, a good, easy, palatable taste for, for people. 
who are, who are used to maybe like more of a, a Tim Hortons or Starbucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely like that. I, uh, I think I showed you this before we started, but I'm having monogram today. Yeah. Um, maybe the most popular roaster in Calgary, I would think. I know a lot of people who do their, um, subscription thing. So, okay. Yeah, no, they're, they're really good. Um, this is, I honestly haven't even really read it, but it's from Columbia, but it's a blend of three producers from the Santa Maria region, which is kind of cool. Um, often when you get a coffee, that's a blend you it's like different origins. Cause they're going for a specific like flavor roast, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of coffees that are like year round, like you have um, a year round blend or whatever. It's because they can take from other origins and make it taste very similar to it all year round. But this is a blend from just three different producers, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's good. It's nice. It's juicy. It's uh, um, one thing I've been trying to go for more is the mouth feel. Interesting. Um, which basically just means like, uh, uh, how do I say it without sounding pretentious <laughs> or anything? Like <laughs> basically like, the body of the coffee, like, you know, when you drink, actually, I find when I drink McDonald's coffee, it's very like, it almost tastes watered down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then I'll have like, I don't know what to compare it to other than that. But like, but then like, um, sometimes you have a coffee where it's like, people maybe talk about it as like strong. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe more of like an Americano at Starbucks or something. Um, it's just like you, it feels more full. The drink feels more full, not as yeah. airy. I don't know if that that's helpful. You probably but. just comes down to like total dissolved solids, which is like the, the objective scientific how strong your coffee is. As yeah, some- and generally that comes about from making it finer. Interesting. I've been using that since you mentioned that method, the single pour grind up finer. I've been using that almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, I did one with like a larger, I adjusted it to make coffee for two people. It turned out really nice. The only thing, so the what the method is for the, those listening who maybe haven't heard that episode, basically just grind um, 23 grams of ground coffee, which is a little bit on like the heavier side. Normally you yeah. use like, 18, 19, maybe 23 grams of coffee ground a little bit finer than what you normally would for a pour over. And then you do a single pour of your 300 grams, 300 milliliters of water and just let it run through and it should go pretty quick. I think it was like a minute and a half, two minutes. And I get my drawdowns right. Um, It always tastes fine, but it always like the grounds are never level and they're always weirdly Mm. clumpy. And that to me makes me think, oh, that's not a good extraction, but it always tastes fine. Yeah, I know. It's weird. Yeah. Strange. I've been getting, uh, um, it's like almost a funnel, Mm. basically. So there's like some up up the wall of the the pour over, which is kind of cool, but I couldn't tell you why yours does that. It's because God decrees it. (laughs) 
<laughs> segue. Um, yeah, we're continuing with uh, the 1689 confession again. We just, uh, we just jumping in. We, we wanted to go through confession because we found it's a really good kind of structure for us to go through where we can hit a lot of points, a lot of theological points, a lot of truths about who God is and how we relate with him and how we, we live walking with him. Um, so we're in chapter, is it chapter three? Chapter three, paragraph one. One of the things that you find with all these old um, <laughs> books or like confessions or stuff is like they've broken it down into a chapter and then paragraph or chapter and section. Mm-hmm. If you read Calvin's Institutes, it's like that. And so when you're um, referencing it or writing it out, it's like the Institutes goes book. So you do like book one, period. You do one, period. Uh, like three for chapter three and then mm-hmm. four for section four. So the 1689 is chapter three, paragraph one. We also will find with these old documents that some of the English in here is, oof, it is some, oh my goodness. some old wording. <laughs> but when, when I was reading this, uh, I was, because you were like, uh, you texted me a few days ago and you're like, I think we should split it up like this and, and focus in on this. And then I was reading it. And I was like, oh, I don't know what, where you're going from. Like, <laughs> cause I was just trying to figure out the <laughs> words meant all together. So, well, I could, I could help you if you're struggling. Thanks. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, here, I'll read it. Um, 1689 chapter three, paragraph one says, God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass. Yet, so as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. And that is all one sentence. Did you notice that? Huh. It's like yeah. there's, there's, I've never seen so many semicolons in a sentence before. Like most yeah, people don't I even know how to don't, use. <laughs> I have no clue how to use a semicolon. Yeah. It's, uh, Semicolon is what you use when it should just be two sentences, but you want to seem pretentious. <laughs> yeah. Well, that middle line, yet so as thereby is God neither. I was like, yeah, that I had to like break, like I, I know what it means, but I had to like break that down to make sure I, like I wasn't there's just, an easier way to write that. <laughs> I kind of, I wanted to do a modern English translation. But I feel like that'd be so contentious with, like the church at large and reformed traditions they'd be like no that has to be peer reviewed and all this stuff but yeah but yeah it's actually if we could get past the english and this is why we don't use the king james version because it it just makes things seem more complicated i'm sorry (laughs) kyle's uh, friends and family the only version um continue but yeah it just makes things more complicated or seem more complicated than it is, but God, God is decreed in himself from all eternity, from his wisdom, his wise and holy counsel. That is like his own 
wisdom, his own counsel, his own will, which is, is free and unchangeable. He's declared all things, everything that comes to pass. And that's sort of the, the first point I think we need to get into is, is what is God's decree? Or you could say, what are God's decrees? But I think technically it, it should be singular. It's his singular decree. Yeah. And the first thing we have is all things. Everything. All Ever things. Has happened, is happening, will happen. Uh, I know. Oh, go for it. <laughs> that's, well, that's the thing with, um, we're, when we talk about God's decree, we're talking about like of all time, like what he's done before and what's going on now and what, what is going to happen. And I think that's the comforting thing about it is that we recognize that there wasn't any, there wasn't any period of time and there isn't going to be any period of time that is outside of his decree. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really important to, um, to make clear on at the beginning, because we're going to talk about some things that are maybe a little bit uncomfortable for some people, but everything that happens is within his decree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, oh, where it is. Uh, the phrasing in this very complicated old English paragraph. But we, we see in scripture that, you know, um, numbers 23, 19, uh, God, God is not man that he should uh, lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Like he, he's not susceptible to the winds of change, to emotions, to, to influences. And we see that in his uh, free and unchanging. It's by his own counsel that he's doing these things. And, and that is a comfort. And we'll get into that a little more. I guess that is the next mm-hmm. point. I just wanted to, to say, like, we do see scripture um, to defend that first point, all things. Uh, you know, in First Samuel, we see the, the prayer where um, Samuel's mom, I can't remember her name <laughs> I mean, right now, uh, she prays like, like God determines whether we are rich or poor, whether we live or we die. Isaiah uh, 45 verse 7, God says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. He really is in control of of every detail, every little thing that is happening, all things are his decree. Yeah. And it speaks to, it speaks to his, you know, in regards to this as well, we talk about his sovereignty also that he's working, working his purposes and uh, fulfilling his purposes in everything he does. So we often think about like, um, the the middle of that verse of day of 45 like i make well-being and i and create calamity mm-hmm. very like interesting phrase and i love um this verse uh for that because it really challenges our our black and white thinking of like okay anything good god does anything bad is you know and we kind of separate those and like we'll get into this but like it's not to say that god causes us to sin um or that he tempts us or anything but it's that that acknowledgement that in times of well-being, in times of calamity, God's decree is there. Mm-hmm. He's he's over it all. I think that's a, a very challenging way for us to th- thing to think about. Um, 
like in thinking about a, a good God and in thinking about his character coming off of those mm-hmm. um, in the 1689. When I think about that, but the, but it says in this paragraph, right? All things whatsoever come to pass. No, I think, well, just before we get into it, the verse I was trying to remember was Isaiah 46, 10. When you, you mentioned he, he's declared it for all time. It's there where he says he declares the end from the beginning. Like he's not, changing it as uh, developing it he's he's made his declar his decree his declaration he said this is how it is but but i say yeah the, i think one of the big like kind of uh difficult points stumbling blocks that's a phrase the big stumbling blocks with this and something that we've talked about and that we've had lots of questions about is when this comes to salvation like like if he's decreeing all things we we do believe that that applies to because scripture says it to to who is saved and who is not you know um ephesians 1 11 says in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that is um our our inheritance our, our salvation our adoption is Part of his decree it's from the the beginning of time mm-hmm. and you know, uh, like uh, we touched on this as well but in regards to this also like he's not compelled by outside forces mm-hmm. as well like he's not um that's why we talk about his absolute sovereignty and salvation right is because we're also saying that he is not um being you know we don't influence his decision on that right mm-hmm. like we have done unconditional election Right. We've done nothing in which that makes us deserving of salvation. So we're not coercing him into uh, choosing us and we're not doing anything to influence him to do it. He's doing it completely um, on his own terms and his his own decree as well. Um, And we uh, look at this and we think that it's unfair Mm -hmm. a lot of the times like. And I think it's because we want that control. We want to be like, well, I made a decision that was good and right. And therefore I reaped the benefits of that. When I I think a lot, like I've heard even in in like fairly recent conversations, people have verbalized it as, so the people who died without knowing Jesus never had a chance or it wasn't even really their fault. Um, But the reality is that no, like nobody is, is, worthy of being saved like romans says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god romans 120 uh speaks of god re- being revealed in all of creation paul says so that we are mm-hmm. without excuse but every one of us even you kyle and me we've seen him his revelation in creation and we've rejected that and we've denied it and it is only by his his decree that we would see it that we do and yeah. we should be so overcome with joy and humility that he would save us, that he, he would bless us in any way that we, we're not focused on who he hasn't saved. We should be just awestruck that he saved us at all. Yeah. And in that he's, you know, even with, we'll keep that argument going and stuff, taking that and being like, well, he's also decreed and commanded us to go and bring the gospel to those people as well. Mm-hmm. So we have no excuse. We're Paul talks about being obligated 
to those who don't have the gospel to go and do it. Yeah. And so we started thinking about it as like, well, that's, that's not fair. That doesn't seem fair to me. And it's this high view of like ourselves basically. Yeah. That we should have that kind of say and be able to command God in that way, but also to be like, that's not fair. He, he should, he should be doing this. And it's like, well, he's actually called us to do it as well. Mm. Um, and so we often look at, at God and the way he works and, and maybe don't agree with it at first, or we don't understand it. Um, but Romans nine is an incredible chapter on this. Romans like Romans nine and 10 into 11. Like it's, it's all, um, just, just all of Romans, even where you said, yeah, just, uh, just read it Paul, all. But Paul like, mentions <laughs> obligation. That's Romans one again. Right. Like, yeah. But specifically those three chapters, right? Like Romans nine twenty says, um, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Paul um, looked at this kind of thinking and anticipated that it would be a hard thing for people mm. to to actually believe, and um, and they'd push back on it. And he says later on as well, um, uh, uh, he brings up the question itself: How can he find fault if no one can resist his will? Yeah, that's kind of the 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 thought we come with is like. Well, how can he find fault if like we can't resist his will or anything like that? And he's answering it, I mean, in all of Romans as well. And he says, at the end of the day, too, who are you, the created being, to say to the creator what he can and can't do? I think that was when I was in Bible college and I was wrestling with these questions. And I started out pretty like anti-Calvinist and I, I did study in Romans. And I think one thing that I struggled with and that even now really humbles me is that I want to be able to give a really defined answer when people say this and we are going to ex like explore a little bit more into this but um like when people say well how can he find fault if no one can resist his will like I want to be able like I feel the need to justify God which isn't true and that's speaking to my own arrogance but also looking at the fact that Paul just answers this by saying, who do you think you are? Yeah. Like, you think you're yeah. a big deal? I'm like, wow, Paul, way to not have empathy, but this scripture, Paul knows God, or yeah, knows God a lot better than I do, and he knew God a lot better than I do. Yeah. And that's how there, he, he answers it. There's this great clip that I'm sure you've seen as well from R.C. Sproul, where he's at a Q&A session. Mm. Some people and someone gives the question, Something along the lines of like, um, in the beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden, they eat of the fruit and all of a sudden all of humanity is now fallen into sin and the world mm. is in, in this cursed state, everything. And the questioner was like, is, doesn't that seem severe? Isn't that a severe punishment for such a small yeah. act? And <laughs> RC, I've heard stories about it afterwards, actually. Um, but RC was actually like really mad. Um, and you can kind of see it in the video, even though like it almost seems funny at first, but he basically, he says that right in a very RC Sproul type of way. He says like this Adam, this creature from the dust defied an infinitely holy God. Mm. And we think it's too severe that God did what he did. And he's basically saying, who do you think you are? I have a, a gif from that from that because uh, you can get the find the clip I, th I think if you just searched rc sproul what's uh what's wrong with you people on youtube yeah. you'd probably find it 
because that's yeah. his first remark and he says what's wrong with you people and that's where there's some laughter and he goes no i'm serious and it's like yeah. dead silent you're like oh no it's like when you're joking around with your dad and then you realize that your dad's actually angry like i i wasn't even there and i wasn't the one that asked the question and i felt it watching the video but uh, yeah. but yeah it's a very similar remark but um the reality is Paul says this, he doesn't give us a justification. He doesn't give us an answer. And there is an, an aspect of mystery. But what we do know, we know that, that God decrees all things, but we also know that he does not author sin. That's uh, the weird, oh, how do they word it here? Yet so as thereby is God. Neither. <laughs> it's, he's saying God is, is not the author of sin. He doesn't create it. He doesn't write it. He doesn't make it happen nor does he have fellowship with it, which means he doesn't even like entertain the idea of sin. There's no sin in him. And when it comes down to the, this question of, of God's sovereignty, God's decree and, and our responsibility and our having to, to take accountability and face the consequences of our, of our sin, or ultimately have Jesus bear the consequences of our sin on the, the cross, that there is some mystery and we only want to declare what scripture says. Scripture yeah. says that God decrees all things and it says that he does not author sin. Yeah. And that's a, that's a question I think that a lot of people start talking about when we start talking about God's decree, because it's in one sense, you can see that it, it would, it's an argument that kind of makes sense because people are like, well, if God decrees all things, then there's sin so that must be decreed as well so therefore you know is does god cause us to sin in some sense even if it's like for our good or whatever but um james 1 13 uh says let no one say when he is tempted i am being tempted by god for god cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So what James attributes uh, temptation and sin to is our own desires from ourselves. So why was Adam tempted in the garden? Well, it came out of his own desires, that, that desire to be, that he could, you know, be like God in a way that he didn't think he could be, um, if he were to take that fruit that God forbid. Yeah, it was out of his own heart um, and, and his own desires that that temptation was there. Mm -hmm. And that's and we we do see that God will will use sin to to work his purposes. Like uh, I think a, a fairly well known one is from Genesis fifty twenty. Joseph says to his brothers, "What you meant for evil, God meant for good." And that's a, a phrase that's always stuck with me. And we see that as sort of the like a uh, a typology or foreshadowing of, of the cross that mm -hmm. people meant to kill Jesus by killing him, murdering him on the cross. And that's a terrible thing. And, and people were like, we're held accountable in some way for his death. And the people that literally crucified him are held accountable for that. But God used that to glorify his son. He, he turned this evil thing to good, but, but what we're pushing at here and what the, the, the confession does say is there, there's no, no violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty 
or contingency of second cause is taken away. What he's saying is it doesn't uh, negate man's will. No violence committed. It's not hurting our, his decree doesn't hurt our will. We do what we want. We act in accordance with our own desires. And when we understand total depravity, which we've done an episode on, we'll probably talk about it again someday. Like, our, yes, our desires are corrupted by sin. They're slaves to sin, but we are doing what we want. We're not being forced or coerced by God in any way. Yeah. And that's, um, I think that's one of the things that we have to understand is that in God's decree, like often the argument when you talk about his sovereignty and his decree is that, oh, that just makes us robots. Like we have no control. Um, Mm. similar to what Paul was saying, right. Is people's response is like, um, who can resist his will? How can he find fault? But um, those things are, are working in tandem together. So we do have a will. It's, it's a marred will. It's like a depraved will. We do have a will and we act in accordance to those desires. And so we actually are responsible for our sin. Mm-hmm. And so that's where, uh, you know, you can bring the argument, right? If, if we weren't responsible for our own and if God didn't give us a will, is they would say, well, there, we have no opportunity. So God is the one who's causing me to sin and God is the one who um, is, is making this happen. And it takes all the blame off of us. I think that's what we often try to do is get rid of the blame on us so that we can't yeah. be held responsible for it. I think it's it, the reality is it's probably just a, a matter of our limited understanding that it's beyond our wisdom to comprehend how God can decree all things and be working all things, be accomplishing his purposes, yet have us freely following our whims, our sinful desires, and doing things in rebellion to him. But Mm -hmm. it's also a testament to, well, it'll be a final point, a testament to his wisdom, a testament to his glory. But I want to address also that phrase uh, of secondary causes, because that was one that I was like, excuse me, (laughs) the contingency Mm -hmm. of secondary causes. All that means is that he, he uses, you know, the processes within the laws of time and nature that he's created, that he's established. And we do see times that he just interjects and in some act of of providence, he, he, he really forces his hand. Um, But basically his plans, he doesn't just poof, like he's declared who he will call to him. He's declared that the elect will will be justified, but then there's still people who uh, witnessed to me and preached to me and ministered to me and people who are still ministering to me. And that doesn't mean that their effort is for naught. It doesn't mean that they're just wasting their time because like, because God would, would accomplish it if they didn't want to, but he would have still used a secondary means he would have still used secondary cause those people he wants us to be part of it and that's you mentioned like we're commanded to preach we're commanded to be part of this to to be his hands and feet in accomplishing his will on earth yeah and that's usually the the attack against calvinists a lot is that they're not evangelistic because they believe in god's complete sovereignty in salvation that he will save his elect and he's going to save who he, who he desires to save, mm-hmm. but that's exactly the point. Like the 1689 is a very like reformed and Calvinistic 
confession. Um, but in that, right, you're, you're seeing that like God desires to use us once again, like Romans 10, right? So you have Romans 9 um, talking about who are you to, to say, who are you as the clay to say to the potter what to do? Um, and who can resist his will? How can he find fault? And then Romans 10, he's like, how are they going to hear without a preacher? Mm-hmm. And how are they going to preach if they're not sent? So we need to send out people to preach the gospel so that people can be saved. And he's, and God's using these to bring about his purposes and, and his decree. Yeah. And he causes these things to happen. And it's a, like you've already mentioned, um, our final point, it's a demonstration of his wisdom in all things. Like, um, I, I don't have it written down here, but there's a great verse in Acts 4, I think, where um, Peter mentions that um, Jesus uh, was brought to the cross by the Jewish people under Pontius Pilate, um, under all these circumstances, and because of all these people brought to the cross, but that was in fulfilling God's decree in all things. The absolute mm. evil that they did to, to Christ to um, put him on a, an unjust trial and to find him guilty in a way, in, in something that he, he was not guilty in. Yeah. Um, and then put him on a cross and kill him. What they meant for evil, like you said, God meant for good. And he, and he brought about his purposes. And who would have thought that that's the way in which God would fulfill his purposes. It didn't make sense to the disciples at the time. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to us, but that's God demonstrating his wisdom. Mm. When in numbers 23, 19, again, I, I read it earlier is, is God is not a man. Uh, the quote was that, that he should not lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Like his decree reveals that he is higher and greater than us, that he's not changing his mind. He's not being influenced and, blown here, here, here and there and, and tossed about like he, he's, he's made his decree and it's fixed for eternity. Yeah. And that's a revelation of, of who he is. Uh, uh, so always we want to end with the, so what? Like we want the, we want to know God better, but we also want to walk with him. And uh, I'll, I'll give credit where it's due. I heard uh, a podcast I like says that whenever they read a passage, they, they try to, for application, say, um, how does this affect our confidence, our conviction and our conduct? And I've had that in the back of my mind. And it was one of the obvious things I think when we hear about God's decree and his sovereignty is that we can be confident in his absolute sovereignty, that he is working all things for his glory and the good of those who love him, who he has called to his purpose. Yeah. Even our, um, Suffering is not outside of his will. You mentioned before we started this that um, you were reading something about um, how we've kind of lost this theology of suffering. And when you said that, I, I thought of that for sure. Like, we kind of always say it. Like, we're like, oh, God will use this for good. Or like when someone goes through a really horrible thing, you're like, it's all within God's control. Like you got this or he's got this and everything. And we say that to people, but it's really hard to like actually hold on to that in the moment. Mm-hmm. And what oftentimes what a lot of people need in that moment is not necessarily for, for someone to say that to them, but to be confident in it and know that that's true and walk with them through the situation. Um, because a lot of people can flippantly just say that 
but to actually be convicted of it and be confident in it and then walk through that situation with that purpose means a lot more than just saying it out loud. Yeah. I, I think that's something too, where like pastorally, we often will, will say that as a means. And, and this is something I think Calvinists do like very poorly. Um, uh, is they'll be like, oh, you know, it's God working his plan is in his will. God made it happen. And that doesn't mean it doesn't suck, mm-hmm. right? Like suffering sucks. Suffering is suffering, but we, we have confidence in that. Um, is it, is it, I believe James says a similar thing. I know in Paul and Romans, again, we just love Romans today. Romans five says we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, character, hope, which does not put us to shame. Um, uh, James has like almost the exact same progression of thought. I can't remember what his yeah. is, but, but yeah, we, we don't need to be af- afraid of suffering. Like we can acknowledge it. It sucks, but it it is within his, his will. And it's something that we should submit to, which, which will, yeah. Well, kind of all of our, our final points here, like the tie together, like this understanding God's decree leads us to be in awe of him when we understand the detail of his plan, his wisdom and how he works things out. Um, his love that he would decree that we would be saved when we really don't deserve it, that we, we, sh- we there's no reason why he should, that he would choose us. Yeah. And even on, on top of that, um, the humility that comes from it as well, being in awe of who God is and then how uh, it brings us to a point of humility, knowing who we are, um, and knowing that God's plan is sure and that his decree will happen and that we can't mess that up at all. Um, knowing that we haven't earned any blessing that he's chosen to give to us. It's just, it's a gift freely given by him, not based on works. Um, as Ephesians two says, so that no one can boast. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the humility that, that comes from, from knowing this. And when we, yeah, when we live in, in awe and humility, humility meaning a right understanding of who he is and who we are, we can live in submission to his will. And there's an, there's an aspect, it's a funny idea. I was listening to some guys talk about this um, the other day. Like in some aspect, like his will is just happening whether we submit to it or not but for us to submit to his will is is a matter of of posture that Mm -hmm. we praise him and joy and suffering that we have gratitude in all things that when when we are suffering that we can say god this sucks but i trust you god this sucks but i know you are glorious that you are holy that you're working all things for your glory and our good yeah and that's where um, I said to you, I wanted to end on Job. Um, for anyone listening, Job is a perfect study and book to read on a topic like this. Does God Because a lot of what we've talked about today, actually Job's friends bring up as a reason for which Job might be facing such all the trials they went through. For those who, who may not know, Job starts off with it's this guy who's like very wealthy seems to be having a really good life and everything has kind of gone well for him in his life and then all of a sudden it gets taken away from him and he has no clue why us as the reader get a glimpse into it he has no clue why and his his friends think it's for multiple different reasons but 
Job at the very outset when he loses all of his stuff, even like his family dies. He's sitting there with all this like sickness on him and stuff, just in a horrible state. Um, his wife, uh, this is Job 2 verse 9, says, uh, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. And that was her advice to him, right? <laughs> in this mm-hmm. time of suffering, in this time where um, it seems like God has abandoned you, just curse God and die. Just your life's over. Verse 10, Job responds. He says to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And so you can see from the outset of Job and then you can see this attitude all throughout the book of Job. Um, that he has this attitude of all this is within the decree of God. And just because things aren't going as I planned or as I wanted them to, as, or as I thought they would, just because it seems like we're in a, this horrible situation, shall I not receive the good that I re- received from God, but not the, the evil or kind of the hard times or the bad things as well. Mm-hmm. And Job has that confidence that it's all within his decree. It's all within the plan of God. Um, and he continues to, to hold fast to, to that confidence. Yeah, that's a, a great picture of what it really looks like to be living a life of submission to, to God's will and to, to his plan. Well, that, uh, that's time for us. That is paragraph one of chapter three. We appreciate you listening. Um, if you haven't already, feel free to join our Discord. Um, it's a group. You can chat with us. You can ask questions. You can make fun of us. You can share memes. I need to get better at using Discord. I honestly am just like, I'm an old man when it comes to Discord. And yeah. A lot of things I can keep up with the kids and everything these days, but when it comes to Discord, I just forget about it. So That's fair. Um, join us, though. We uh, post some things in there we post some memes share some memes talk about coffee all that all that fun stuff um if you want to support us well honestly the best thing you can do is just tell people about us share it like it subscribe follow whatever app you're in reviews we have a review of super stoked and apple podcast let's go um that kind of stuff we just want to be able to talk to more people and encourage and be encouraged by more people um, you can message us on, did you mention Instagram? You can message us on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but yeah, if you want to support us financially, no pressure, but we do have a Patreon where you can support us as a p- patron. And we have a patron. I feel like we need to like send wow, them a cookie or something. Yeah, we're we're really making inroads here with all these online connections. Yeah, we? we didn't discuss it. Maybe we, I don't want to say his name on air, but if we'll discuss it first. Maybe that's a thing. <laughs> We'll send a cookie to everyone who signs up for Patreon. How about that? <laughs> you give us your address. That's a guarantee from me that what? we'll send you a cookie. Kyle, Kyle's, Kyle's in charge of that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sending anyone cookies. You have to, to message us and share this podcast and refer a friend. Yeah, bring, bring three it. friends to youth group and be at I your hate those, those contests on Instagram, I always, I always like actually do them but i'm like i hate that you like you're making me tag three friends and post this on my story what's up with that